remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. It's our scripture for this morning. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. I'm so glad to be your teacher this morning. I'm Kendi Easley. I'm the executive pastor here at Bethany. And we have been studying Moses kind of all summer. And it's really exciting to me that we're getting down to it here. He's, he's kind of made some mistakes. And he's encouraging the Israelites and us to not make the same kind of choices that he made. So we're going to have a close look at this scripture. It's in Deuteronomy. It looks short, but it's actually, we're trying to look at about four chapters in Deuteronomy. So we're really like in Deuteronomy 27 to 30, and then in Romans 10. So if you're somebody who wants to follow in your smartphone or in the scripture, um, that's where we're going to be looking. So um, please join me in prayer. Mighty God, we thank you that you long for us um, to hold fast to you, that we long to have your praise be ever on our lips. So may our time reflecting on your scriptures today um, deepen those truths in our lives, that we would know you better, that we'd love you more, and that we would see ourselves as you see us, full of possibility. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in the person of Jesus and through your word. Amen. So today's scripture focuses on this idea of choice, and it actually says, choose blessing or curse, choose life or death. Those, for me, have seemed like things you don't really choose, right? Like blessings kind of come your way, or maybe curses kind of come your way. That's how it feels. And life, really good life-giving things come our way, and then disease and death and all those sorts of things come our way. But as we get started today, I want us to just think about this idea of choice. How can we choose blessing or choose life? Think about the big choices in life. Do we move here or there? Who do we marry? What about the job hunt? Which job is best for me? One with more flexibility or one with more money? Should I buy a house or should we keep renting? What about choices with our time? What are our priorities? Should you finish your work day at five or stay a little longer and get more done? Should you take work home or should you work out, make dinner? What about people? Tension in relationship, move toward it, move away from it, just say bye. What about parenting? Should we go to our child go to preschool? What age? Which preschool? Are any of you facing these kinds of choices? Could I keep going? What about choices with food? What's better for my grade school child? Should they take out the lunch that I prepare, but they probably won't eat it, the sandwich just comes home? Or should we pay a little more for the school lunch, and is that healthy? What about choices with money? Um, should we save something? Should we give away more money? Should we... Um, invest in the stock market. My sister-in-law did and she made a killing. We did, didn't work for us. <laughs> so we're faced with these big choices and even little choices. Like, what should we wear today? Is it going to be sunny or cold? Or each evening, I face this challenge. Should I read a little of this challenging book or just maybe a couple episodes of Candy Crush? <laughs> I, I admit it. Or maybe for you it's West Wing or finish up some email. What choices have you already made today? 
Did you have a healthy breakfast? What choices do you have yet to make today? Or maybe what you're thinking about for tomorrow. I want you to take like just 10 seconds and think about the choices that are in front of you for the rest of today or maybe for tomorrow. Okay, go ahead and speak at least one choice out loud to your neighbor. One choice that you're thinking about, and that might mean you have to turn around. So what's a choice? It might be big, it might be small. Okay, well done. This is a healthy murmuring. I'm hoping you found something that you can think about as a choice. And it, even what you're thinking about, it might change as we go through today's message and communion and really reflecting on how do we make these choices. But thank you for sharing with one another and kind of being a little bit of a community together. Did anyone find yourself giving advice about someone else's choice? Just went, okay, that was good. You were really good listeners. So this is what's happening with Moses right now. He is eager for the Israel to make good choices. He's so eager that it's like this is kind of getting near the end of his life, and he goes on for about four chapters about the kinds of choices that he wants them to make. And it, to me, it's sort of a challenge. A little bit before our reading today, Moses says this, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if, giant if, you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And then he says what we read, I call on heaven and earth to witness against you today. That's kind of powerful, that I have set before you. It's like, it's like he's saying, I've done my job as your leader. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, now, choose life. Choose life. So in our summer study of Moses, we've been looking, and we called it the art of the journey, and it's kind of the idea that life is an art. We get to create our life. And as Moses is coming to the end of his life, it seems like to me part of the issue is that he's worried about their choices. So he encourages them to choose life in three different ways, which are in your bulletin. To recognize our true identity, to step into kind of realizing this identity through obedience. I know, big word, obedience, but we're going to learn that the Apostle Paul turns that into obedience by faith. And then three, by remembering that God provides, God always provides. So I think Moses is going into this with such great extent and with such great energy because he himself blew it. Maybe you were here last week when we studied Numbers 20. You will remember that uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, died and that the people, the crowd of Israel, who've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, are quarreling with Moses and Aaron. 
So Moses and Aaron go to the tent of meeting, go to God's place, and they fall down on their faces in, in prayer and beseeching the Lord that the people are still whining and complaining. They're going on this time about the fact that there's no water. So the Lord speaks to Aaron and Moses, and he says, pick up your staff and take your staff to this side of a mountain, this rocky side of a mountain, and hold it up and call on my name and water will come gushing forth. It'll be for all the people and for all their livestock and you're just gonna have so much water, there'll be great rejoicing. Great plan, right? So Moses and Aaron go back to the people and do you know what Moses does? He lets his anger get the better of him. You know, the scripture says you can be angry, but do not sin. Like anger, it's just one of our emotions. But when we act in anger, we get ourselves into a dangerous place. And that's what happened to Moses. He essentially chose a curse for himself by doing this. What did he do? He gets the crowd together. They're no longer the congregation of God's people. They're this crowd. And he says to them, listen, you rebels. Like he's he's got his dander up. He says, should we bring water for, should we bring water for you out of this rock? And it's like, of course they want water. It kind of reminds me of the crowd like crying out at Jesus' crucifixion. Crucify him, crucify him. We want water, we want water. So Moses picks up his staff. I picture it with both hands. And he bangs on the rock two times. And sure enough, water comes gushing forth. Is this what God had told him to do? No. God had told him, lift up the staff and call on my name. All you have to do is lift up the staff. Kind of seems small, doesn't it? He just let himself bang the staff on the water, but doesn't it create the doubt in our mind that did the water come gushing forth because he banged the rock, or did the water come gushing forth because God so chose? So because Moses acted in that way, there was quite a severe consequence. God tells Moses, hey, you've led these people fairly capably for 40 years, but you're not going in the promised land. You blew it. So I think Moses is now trying to say to the people, like, do what I'm saying, not what I did, right? Choose to believe that your true identity is in God. Choose to believe that God will be faithful to you. Don't don't give in to this temptation to take things into your own hands. A few days ago, I got a call from my daughter who is starting school. It's that season. But she's in 17th grade. She's like in post-college now. And yet, there was this first assignment of uh, getting to know one another by writing a little statement about what culture you came from. So my daughter calls me, she's adopted, so she's kind of got a complexity of cultures. She's got her birth parents' culture, she's got our different cultures. And she calls me and said, well, mom, I'm thinking about what culture I came from, and I'm supposed to talk about the sayings. Like, what did my parents say to me? What did they encourage me in? So she began um, with this idea, and as soon as the words came out of her mouth, I thought of things like, eat your vegetables, and look both ways before you cross the street. And then I realized that I was like, kind of like a decade or two behind on where she actually is in her life. And what I found myself most recently saying to her is, drive safely, or more specifically, slow down. And don't get so close to that car in front of you. She said what she remembered most growing up was that we had a Christian household. 
And I, I sort of thought to myself, okay, she's going to this big state school. What if she, is Christianity a culture? Like, just let her find her way, don't interfere. And she said, then, mom, the phrases that I really remember are respect your elders and write thank you notes. <laughs> not bad, not bad, but I, I wouldn't have said I said respect your elders a lot. Good thing, respect everybody, I would say. Writing thank you notes, I know I've been all over that, like the whole time, since she could write, you know, the fill in the blank kind. So what's her identity that she carries when she leaves our family? What's your identity when you start something new? You step into a new job, you step maybe new roommates, maybe going to college, maybe you are stepping into something like you're becoming a parent of a kindergartner for the first time. And it's always kind of this transition, isn't it? Like, who am I going to be? How am I going to deal with this new situation? Moses is saying to the people of Israel, you're going over to the promised land, and I can't go with you. So remember who you are. You're the people of God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, there's this moment. He says, today... You have become the people of God. Now, they've been traveling together for 40 years. Uh, To me, it seemed like they were the people of God. But Moses is saying to them that right there on that day, something is changing. There's a new covenant between God and his people. And he goes on to outline, uh, he says, keep silence and hear, O Israel, this very day you have become the people of God. Almost like a, a marriage covenant, like this very day, and it's so fun as a pastor to be able to pronounce people, husband and wife, it's something has happened, a new family's been created in that moment. And that's kind of like what Moses is saying right now. Something is happening. It's a new thing. You, right now, are becoming the people of God. And he goes on to describe the things that they should do and the things that they should not do as the people of God. And I think as soon as we start to think about this kind of obedience and that there's rules, I know I get kind of anxious. It's hard to keep the rules. But listen to, they were sort of basic. Don't make any idols. Don't dishonor your father or mother. Don't move a neighbor's boundary line. Like, you know, if it's their property, it's their property. Leave the line right there. Don't mislead a blind person on the road. Like, who would do that? That's so mean. (laughs) Don't lie with your father's wife, or as long as we're talking about who not to lie with, don't lie with an animal or your sister or your neighbor's wife down the street. I mean, these are kind of basic. Don't take a bribe. And as he's going through this litany, the people were saying, amen, amen. They're affirming their willingness, essentially, to enter into this covenant. And then Moses lists off some of the blessings that will happen as you live this life. He says that you're going to be blessed in the city and in the field. You're going to be blessed inside your home and out in the neighborhood. It's like Moses is saying, as you cross over into the promised land, be your best self. Be your truest self. Be the people that God has designed you to become. You can do it. And and I think he's saying it because he couldn't do it. He wants for them what he couldn't do for himself. 
So that's the first thing. Take on this new identity, this identity of belonging to God. And now we're going to look at a, a couple ways that that actually comes to pass, and we're going to include some passages from the New Testament. So to realize this identity, this best life, we have to walk in something that is typically called obedience. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you, if you don't like the word obedience, think of it as the way. Walk in the way that God would have you to go. So another story about my daughter who's down there starting graduate school. Turns out she's got her first apartment and her a more significant budget. She's not working full time, so she's got uh, more limited resources, which has caused her to reflect on her strong desire to constantly be going out for coffee. True Seattle kid, right? We love our coffee. So she uh, did some calculations and figured out that it would actually be much cheaper to buy a coffee maker. Yes? We have our coffee makers and we go out for coffee here in Seattle, but she's going to try to have a coffee maker. So she does her little analysis of what kind of coffee maker she would like to have. And uh, we're looking at these factors and, you know, definitely she wants it to be a cone style coffee maker. Yes. Like I'm actually a pour over kind of person for my coffee, but at least she's going to have a cone in her coffee maker. And then she tells me that she wants the cone to be a gold cone, that it's environmentally better if you, you know, pour out the grounds and don't use a paper cone every time. I personally go with a paper cone, but she wants a gold cone. Then she tells me that she would not prefer that it was a black and chrome coffee maker. She would prefer that it was a white coffee maker. Now on Amazon, suddenly your options are greatly limited. We've got cone and it has to be white. And then her dad went and told her that it would be so great and she would love it so much if she got a programmable coffee maker because then it would be like adding to her, her alarm. The alarm would go off, the coffee aroma would be floating through your apartment and you'll just leap right out of bed and it will be great. Okay, now I'm still on Amazon, right? Limiting, limiting, I find one, I order it. The other day I call her. Did your coffee maker come? Yes, mom, the coffee maker came. Did you make coffee? How's the coffee? The coffee's great. There's only one problem. What's the problem, sweetie? It's not programmable. I said, oh, it is. Look, it says right on the title, programmable. She said, yeah, it doesn't work. It just always says 12 o'clock. <laughs> right? You, you've had this experience before. It turns out you have to program your programmable coffee maker. Yeah, you have to tell it what time it is now, and you have to tell it what time you want your coffee. It doesn't just know these things. It's not automatically programmed to your time zone. So I said to her, sweetie, do you still have the packaging, the, material, the packaging material that the coffee maker came in? Yeah, I saw the packaging. Okay, there's a little thing in there, like a little brochure. It's gonna tell you the instructions for the coffee maker. Like, I know this is really a big hard step, but you're in graduate school, you can do it. Find the instructions. Or you could probably look them up online. She's like, I have to read this whole booklet? I said, Whether you read the whole booklet or not, you seem interested in programming your coffee pot, so I'd go ahead and go right to the part that tells you how to program and get that taken care of. So. What does this have to do with us? It's hard to obey, right? We want it to just sort of automatically happen. We want the blessings. We want to maybe purchase the coffee maker, plug it in, and have it just miraculously work. We sort of want the same thing for our life. It's hard to make the gazillions of little choices that are choosing life, that are sort of dialing us toward God. 
Deuteronomy 30, right before the section we read, said, for this commandment that I command you today is actually not too hard for you, actually was added by me. It's not far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. It's like you have the capacity to be the people of God. You can realize your potential as the people of God. Just like the coffee maker, if you do the right things, it will program and it will provide coffee. But you have to put the coffee in, you have to set the clock. So it is with us. We have to kind of walk in the way of God. So Paul takes this same passage, this exact quote from Moses in Romans 10. And the Apostle Paul says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into, he doesn't say the sea, he says the abyss. Who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe it and you say it, you will be saved. So it's as though Moses is saying, you will be the people of God if you do this and this and this and this and this. And Paul is saying, actually, you will be the people of God even if you do all those wrong things because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus has already saved us. We're not earning our way. We're saying yes. We're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. So this theological content, at least kind of at a certain level, is different. It's like the same words. One is proclaiming the law, and the other is proclaiming grace and faith. But the experience of it, you could call it the existential dynamic, if you will. The way we know it, the way we step into it is the same. Choose the Lord. Choose the life that God offers. It's not far off. It's, it's not something we have to ascend and grab a hold of. It's not something we have to descend and bring up. It's, it's in our heart and it's on our lips. So step across this line. It could even be that today's the day that you become a person of God, that you say, you know, I've been exploring all of this, and I think it's true. I just think it's true enough that I'm going to try it. So in Deuteronomy, the choice is presented by Moses to obey the commands of God, to love God and walk in his ways by this obedience not worshiping other gods or being drawn away uh, to them, but staying true to the God who rescued them from Egypt and is about to lead them into the promised land. 
And in Romans, Paul takes this language, the the very language of Deuteronomy, and he applies it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This obedience that Paul is talking about is the obedience of faith, sort of a key concept for Paul, that it is obedience, but it's the obedience of trusting that Jesus is who he said he is. The foundation of the relationship with God is no longer law, but it's grace. In fact, in Romans 10:4, Paul states that Christ is the end, the fulfillment of the law for all who believe. And so what these texts get at is the most foundational choice a human being can make. Will I choose life? Will I choose the life God offers, the relationship that God offers on God's terms? Will I or am I putting my weight down on God's word and on the work of the person of Jesus? Am I calling on the name of the Lord? Am I experiencing the riches of God? Am I choosing life? So as you reflect on maybe even these choices that I ask you to bring to mind today, are there some that are better? How do you decide what is a godly choice? How do you get this decision right? I'm one of those people who can easily rethink things. I've decided, but I'm sort of redeciding and redeciding. And my husband just says, don't worry, go to sleep, sleep on it. Think about it again tomorrow. Getting it right can kind of get me caught up. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you need someone in community to say, I'm thinking about this. Does that sound like life-giving? I have a friend who, that's what she always says in my little small group, said, is that going to give you life? Is that going to give you life? It's a really good question to ask. This life is intended for all of us. We can't decide, well, you know, I'd love to make that choice of whatever, finishing my work day, but there's just too much for me to do. Or I'd love to make the choice of spending a little more time this way or that way, but I can't do it. This life is for all of us. Don't exclude yourself. Because the next thing for us to remember, point three, is that God provides. Sometimes those choices can feel like it's all up to us. And this last point is to say, no, lean into who God is. Let God provide the solution, the answer, the time. And I love this thing that uh, Moses does in Deuteronomy 29.5. He reminds the people of the way that God has provided. He says this, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness, and look, the clothes on your back have not worn out, and the sandals on your feet have not worn out. Now, someone reminded me after first service, does that sound appealing to be wearing the same clothes and the same shoes for 40 years? <laughs> Maybe not. But the point is, they have clothes and they have shoes that God has provided. Moses says, you stand here today because the Lord is making a covenant with you, with the leaders of your tribes, your elders, your women, your children, the aliens in your camp, and those who draw your water and cut your wood can all enter into this covenant. The covenant is for everyone. It's so easy to forget who God really is. So I want to recommend a book to you, and a couple other pastors have suggested it to me. Where did it go? Oh, here it is. My, pastor, my uh, professors in seminary used to always say, show the book. It's like, I really read the book. It really exists. These aren't just my ideas. I'm sharing them from someone else. This book is called Sleeping with Bread, and it tells the story of orphans from World War II 
that there were thousands of children who were orphaned and left to starve, and that the fortunate ones were rescued and they were placed in refugee camps. And it was in those camps that they received good food and care. But many of them had lost so much that they couldn't sleep at night. They feared that they were going to wake up and something terrible had, would be, have happened again, that, that they'd be homeless again and without food. And there was nothing that seemed to reassure them until someone got this amazing idea that they would send every child to bed with a piece of bread for the next day. And that when they went to bed with that bread, they would remember that there had been food today and that there would be food again tomorrow. So what about us? What are we holding on to, to remember, to remember who God is, to remember that God provides? I went through some scriptures to try to find out what are these blessings? The blessings are amazing. They go on and on. I have a few minutes to share a few with you. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of second chances. First John says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit, in Zechariah, we see not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. You have a tough choice to make, make it by God's spirit. Acts 1 says, you will receive power, power, power to choose, power to live, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth over all time. Transforming love, what a blessing. You're rooted and grounded in what? Good works? No, love. God has given us this love that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that even surpasses what we could know. It's even bigger than we can contain. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How about meaning and purpose? Jesus says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. How about joy in the midst of suffering? Are you in a tough spot? How is it that, that we hear in Scripture, count it all joy when you meet various trials of all kinds? I remember when I was diagnosed with cancer and a friend that I knew had, was a cancer survivor, and I said, Jean, how did you get through it? And she said, Kendi, it's really weird to tell you this, but there'll be a time when you say thank you for this diagnosis. And I said, don't tell me. I, I just couldn't take it in. But it's true that I learned so much from that difficult time. It shaped the way I think. It shaped the way I live. It gave me a heart of gratitude for every day, for the little droplets of rain that hang on the branches and catch the light just so. I didn't notice that sort of stuff before. Even in the most difficult circumstances, God can show up with a blessing. And how about encouragement? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, Paul says, complete my joy by having this kind of love, being of one mind with each other. How about the fellowship then of the community? In Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon them. And signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Amazing. Do you want this kind of power in your own life? Do you want to live this way? Lean into this kind of choice. Jesus says 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Jesus promises that when we take his yoke upon us and learn from him, he's gentle and lowly in heart and we will find rest for our souls. Here we are on Labor Day. We're about to celebrate communion. Does your soul need some rest? When we lean into this idea of who God is, we can let ourselves rest. And we can have even no fear, no fear about tomorrow, even no fear in death. What a gift. Paul says in Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you like to lean into that kind of choice? Or the promise of eternal life? Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I've prepared a place for you. A different perspective on our enemies? What about that kind of blessing? Do you have somebody on your mind, on your heart, a difficult person? Maybe a situation at work where you just kind of think about it and think about it, can't figure out how to work it out. Jesus says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. These kind of choices are available to us. This sense of perspective, that there's both eternal things that are happening that we can't even see, that we get to be part of. That we are in the world, but not of the world. Peter says, God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature, which I think brings us to communion itself. We're we're partakers of this promise. Jesus, I think, knew that when we tried to lean into his promises, when we tried to remember who God is, when we tried to walk in the way of faith and of obedience, when we tried to kind of take on this new identity, we forget, we stumble, we need encouragement. And I just think it's so amazing that he took concretely, before he'd even been crucified, he, he knew what they were going to need, and he said to his disciples who were gathered there, take bread, give thanks, and then break it. And remember, this is my body broken for you. We're partakers of this divine nature. Very God of very God himself became a human being. So today we're going to receive uh, this bread, and you can take it, and maybe there's a way that you sort of want to consecrate some choice, something that you're thinking about. Maybe you want to come forward for prayer. There'll be people up here. There are books to write in. Uh, Ponder this as you receive the bread today, and if you would like gluten-free bread, Nancy's going to be bringing that around to people in this little basket, so you can just kind of let your arm come up, and she'll know that that's what you're looking for, and then we'll pass the cup, and I would invite you, if you are able, to hold the cup, and we'll take that all together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you poured out your very life for us, that you didn't hold back and say, if, if they're good people, um, if they deserve it, but instead you uh, walked over that chasm and you became a human being, even taking on the form of a little babe and 
in the person of Jesus, Lord God, that you grew, that you provided, that you ministered, that you did miraculous things. And God, we want to see those miraculous things in our midst. We want this community to be a place of grace and truth and light. Lord God, we want you to shine your light in us and through us. And so even now, as we ponder uh, our lives, the choices before us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so guide us that our lives would be more and more blessed, that we might be a blessing to others, that we'd be blessed to be blessed. So come, Lord Jesus, um, speak to our hearts. Let your word come alive in us as we receive this bread and this cup. In Jesus' name, amen.